Well, it already has been. I haven't seen a whole lot of it uh, because of the schedule, but I did see a little clip of an interview of uh, a lady. She had a British accent, but she was, I think, in that theater. And uh, I was taken by, you know, France. Oh, dear. What a great need for the Lord there in France. And I noticed that in one of the... uh, they, they were someone, local news, it was in France, they were using the terms good and evil. And I thought, oh, now this is interesting. Where do you get those words? Or do you get those categories? You know, secularism doesn't have uh, access to those. They have to steal them from a Christian worldview. What we face there, what they faced is just unmitigated evil. Evil, evil. And it's not new, been around. Pray for the people in France that mm. <clears throat> that this could be God can use catastrophes <clears throat> like this to begin to prod and poke and move and make people think <clears throat> what's wrong with this world. But you know, mm. I did hear that lady that was spoke with a British accent who was in the theater, and she said, um, "This was what <laughs> oh, this is so sad." She said, "May the universe be with us." May the universe be with us. Well, it sounded like, yeah, it sounded like it, and and so. Uh, and so you just pray for the believers that are there. There, there are some, and pray pray for them. And I, um, oh, let's see, twenty bombs dropped on key ISIS targets. But you know, you're not going to deal with that problem just dropping bombs over there. It, it's, it's such a mess, a quagmire. And it, it's, going to take, it's going to take tribal groups. Hmm. Uh, it's going to take, if the Sunnis and the Shias and their ongoing conflicts with one another, uh, they're going to have to do something about Syria and ISIS in Syria. Sunnis are going to have to do something. But it's so complicated because you've got Iraq, Iran, uh, in the role of uh, supposedly being a good guy. <laughs> I mean, bad guys, bad guys, it's bad guys against bad guys. So you're trying to pick a team. And ISIS is just, I mean, they, you know, very little has come through in the press about the, all the atrocities they've committed. You know, they go into these villages where there are professing Christians, at least we'll say, Historical, some kind of Christianity. Whether they, I'm not saying they go to uh, the uh, Assyrian or Assyrian Bible Church, but um, anyway, they have a Christian world and life view, and they go into the villages, take men, they uh, behead them, they will crucify them, they will execute them, they torture them. Um, I mean, the the Christian population in the Middle East is just shrinking. And pray for our people working in Muslim countries. Um, we don't have anyone in the Middle East that we support. But they're there. They're, they're there. They just, uh, you wouldn't hear about it because uh, Muslims who convert to Christ um, are, it's going to be below the radar screen. It has to be. And workers there don't want attention for the obvious reason of, of an ISIS. 
but there is the issue that has to be faced on the international level. What will the, what will the nations do? Um, free nations, Western civilization, what will it do? Because it's really the only backstop that it, that it uh, not, not Russia, not China. Um, and uh, it's only, and you get right down to it, it will be America. If you didn't have America with all its with all her flaws, you can imagine what this world would be like. Think about it. Whew. And it's just God's grace. Now we're not patting ourselves on the back. God shed His grace on thee, and we are frittering away our freedoms and frittering away a great deal of. We are actually on a quest to push God out of our national life. And God's very well just to turn us over to the consequences of our own rejection of divine revelation. And I don't mean that everybody has to be a Christian, but, uh, and I'll tell you something else that's noteworthy. I have a quote here for you. Uh, let me, um, this was an article, one of the sites that I, I'm on. This is the um, Heritage uh, Foundation sends me, I get this. Um, uh, once a week, it's uh, the Heritage Foundation, and here's the article on Paris attacks. And I'll just read a, a quote. It uh, takes a few seconds to come in. Well, it came in faster than I thought it would. Um, I won't read the article. It's a very short article, but I just won't read this one quote um, and the, what leads up to it. This is a moment for robust and bold leadership from leaders on both sides of the Atlantic. You must be prepared to emphatically defeat the enemy we face. In the words of Britain's Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher, after she survived an, assass an assassination attempt while serving as Prime Minister, and I quote Margaret Thatcher, the terrorist threat to freedom is worldwide. It can never be met by appeasement. Give in Give it in to the terrorist, and you breed more terrorism. At home and abroad, our message is the same. We will not bargain, nor compromise, nor bend the knee to terrorists. Margaret Thatcher. Wouldn't you love to hear someone say that uh, today? You know, did you notice this? I just happened to get a snippet. I didn't watch it uh, the, the Democratic debate and the refusal to use the word Islam, Islamic terrorist. This is bad, folks. When your when your potential president, maybe at least a candidate, and you will not be able, you will refuse. That'd be like before World War II, refusing to word use the word Nazi to refer to those people in Germany. There, you know, it's um, and just pray for God's mercy on us because we. Oh, you, you need strong leadership at a time like this, among other things. And uh, so we live in a fallen, broken world. It is broken. And Jesus encounters this brokenness, comes up in his circumstances by all of the, the wounded, the deaf, the blind, um, those who cannot speak, the mute, dead people, demon-possessed people. 
it's really hard for us to imagine what that um, what that part of the world was like when Jesus walked throughout Israel, the, the dusty roads of Palestine, and what was it like by the thousands? Jesus is healing, healing, healing. Now you need to remember, of course, there were no hospitals. The Greek-Roman world, they had their, uh, you know, Asclepius, the god of healing. They had their spas and their hocus-pocus stuff to try to heal. But here is Jesus. And read, listen to what he, this is extraordinary. Let's, we started on this last week, but I, wanna, I want to read it again. And then we'll get right into it. There's the title page. Let's get up to a couple of those introductory statements. So here it is, 31. And again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Did you get the first couple of um, introductory statements last week? Uh, I want to, there's a little... Um, uh, I'm trying to point out by that statement that Messianic signs performed in Gentile territory were a forecast of the place of Gentiles in the redemptive dominion plan of God. Keep in mind the Abrahamic covenant that it was said that the nations would be blessed through Abraham's seed, Genesis 12. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise was fulfilled in the coming of Abraham's seed, who was Christ, according to Galatians 3.8 and 16. That Abraham's seed, he paid the price for the redemption of Jews and Gentiles. And he's going to bring converted Jews and Gentiles into the kingdom. Matthew 19.28. So there's something going on here. It's bigger than just this episode. That's the point I'm trying to make. The healing of the deaf and mute paints a beautiful portrait of the power of Jesus to create the hearing of obedience and the tongues of praise. And quite obviously, that's really the punchline of this. Um, I got up this morning and was reading back through it, thinking it over, and I realized that, that that's really the punchline right there that what Jesus is doing with this miracle and why Mark puts it here. I mean, he could have put any number of hundreds and hundreds of others, other episodes like this. But there's something going on here for the immediate advantage of the disciples that they can understand something about the king, the kingdom, um, the human need. And so here's this sign miracle here is to draw attention to kingdom conditions previewed in the healings of Jesus. Now I'm going to take you to Isaiah 35 in just a moment that this is something, this healing is part of the tapestry or maybe I should say the mural. You've seen murals, haven't you, where you get a story that's painted there's a fantastic one in the Gennesset in Jerusalem, the, uh, the equivalent to the Israeli um, Senate legislature all wrapped up into one. You can't take pictures of it. 
there's this fantastic uh, mural, and it's a picture of the history of Israel. It's, oh, it, it's really impressive. And you get to see this linear story of the movement. Oh, but there's no, <laughs> there's no cross, there's no Messiah, <laughs> there's no... Uh, but the point I'm making is that in this mural of the kingdom work of Christ, predicted in the Old Testament, fulfilled in his appearance partially in the sense that his coming to earth and the healing like he did here was an anticipation of his coming the second time to establish his kingdom on the earth. So the healing of the deaf and mute also provided a vivid picture of the effect of the redemptive work of the Messiah. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus, sheep, hear and follow. It's obedience to their shepherd. So uh, you get a powerful picture here of God's grace to sinners and how he frees up those who can't speak and who can't hear. And this man who literally, physically couldn't hear and couldn't speak, that was a problem for sure. But it was symptomatic. These were symptomatic of the deeper problem. What is it? Our spiritual condition is that we're, we, we can't, our tongues, here, let me, here, let me do it this way. In Romans, you can write it down. I'm going to read a part of it. In Romans 3, you get some. Paul, Paul said, listen to him. This is Romans 3. You want a description of human nature. What are we better than they? Uh, Paul is saying, uh, point of we Jews better than they. Well, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. This is three Romans 3.10. And as it is written, and then Paul then begins to put together a string of quotes from the Old Testament. He says, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Get this. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. Uh-huh. The tongue. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a description of the human race, human beings. It's not pretty. Well, with that said, I come back to the passage and I won't stand all that off the introduction, so let's get the map. And I read verse uh, 31 just to show you the line here shows you that Jesus has gone up from his work around Capernaum. That was home base right there. He's moved up into this area. Remember the Syrophoenician woman? And uh, Jesus would uh, uh, heal her daughter. And then he moves on up into this area in Sidon. Now he's going to come on down over here to the Decapolis. This is the region of the ten cities. Deca, ten, opolis. 
This was the uh, frontier, and frontier in the sense of Israel being the area in which Jesus moved and spent most of his ministry right up in here. But going over to this region where they were, his fame had spread across the border, across the Jordan, over into, uh, there were Jews over here, but more of a, a mixture of Gentiles as well. I'll continue, I will continue to read verse 32. And they brought to him one, um, they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. I uh, believe one translation has with a speech impediment. That's the English Standard Version. Speech impediment. And they entreated him to lay his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. I pause right here and I practice this a little bit. Um, pay attention to where your tongue is. Say the word Ephatha, F. Yeah, okay, you got F, you got your Ephatha. The, it's all out here on the front, isn't it? You know, there are other sounds that are further back. You know, linguists and people who, like the Wycliffe Bible translators, we've had them here at the church, and they give little demonstrations of how languages in, are vary in tonal languages, lip languages, and such that, uh, which creates the you know different sounds and accent and so forth. But this word, this word. All right, right there. And it would have been easier for this deaf man to have read his lips because it's with the And that's what's happening. Be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed. And he began speaking plainly. And he gave him them orders, them orders, not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Well, let's, uh, all right, let's get back in the flow of the, the actual account, um, thought I'd throw another picture of this area into which Jesus moved. This is the Decapolis over here, be to the east, back to the right. A panoramic shot with uh, Herman, Mount Herman, tired siding up in this region, and we'll move forward. Uh, all right. I, oh, I remember what I did. I threw in a few uh, bonus pictures here. Um, I'm pretty sure this is the section where I did it. Yes, um, back up. I just put a few bonus pictures in here with um, um, this region. Um, this give you a little idea of what goes on in the middle, what's going on in the Middle East. All right, here's, here's Syria. Um, there is the uh, Sea of Galilee. Now, when you go up into this region, 
we went up here uh, in our last trip to Israel. It, uh, you look over into Syria, the Golan Heights. Um, it's um, appropriately named. It's just a, you're up on a mountain and you're looking down on the plains and you're looking right down into Syria. When Syria occupied this back before the 67 war, I mean, it was like they had a Israel over on this side, which is like, it's like a shooting, shooting ducks in the pond. And it was a, just a burr in the saddle of Israel because the uh, Syrian army could just take cheap shots. So Israel got the Golan Heights and they have not let it go. And now you can, can you imagine what it would be like if Israel had, this is part of what they're barking about, the so-called the Palestinians, they want to return to the pre-67 borders. Think of what it would be like if Israel turned this over to the Palestinian or to Syria. Syria got it back. And uh, it, would be a, it would be a suicide, a uh, national suicide uh, treaty is what it would be. Uh, the only way you could prevent that is maybe to have so much um, American uh, firepower and military presence and such that if you did anything to come over here, it would be like attacking New York City. I mean, you'd have to have something that extreme to get Israel, I think, to uh, let go up here. But uh, we stood up there. Uh, well, let's go a little further. All right, there's Mount Hermon. See, we've got, it's, it's, um, I took this off the internet. It's um, because of the, the dramatic uh, connection. You don't see it quite that boldly when you're there around the Sea of Galilee, but that just shows you in the foreground, background, the proximity of them. All right, yeah, here it is. All right, we're up on the Golan Heights. I, there's Syria out there. And uh, Israel has this place well, uh, uh, well, let's just say it's, it's well taken care of. <laughs> and Israel is ready for any mischief. But if you just think if you had Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, or the, the Syrian army, what's left of it, <clears throat> and you had them up here, and behind us is Israel. All right, there, there's another picture. This is a turret. These are this, the trench work. Um, and you can look out. Oh, there's, there's Syria all out there. Uh, there's, there's a little distance marker. <laughs> Just to, if you wanted to know. Okay, that was, those just bonus pictures. Um, so that when you read the paper, the news, you get a little visual. But... I wanted to comment now on this uh, track on this. The deaf and mute people need people who long for their healing. You see, this, uh, the deaf and mute man was brought to Jesus by people who were genuinely concerned for him. Um, some people, they were begging Jesus to perform a miracle and free this man of his, his pitiful condition. Remember the demon-possessed man in Gadara? Um, they were running around in the graves over on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And yeah, and after he had been delivered from uh, his condition, he went. He was told to go and tell his family and his neighbors what great things the Lord had done for him. Hmm. And keep this in mind because Jesus is not far from that neighborhood here. So he apparently did. Hmm. He went and told his family and his neighbors, and word spread like wildfire. 
And this is what the results are here in chapter 7, verse 31. So when he goes back into this territory, I mean, it's already been prepped. And his fame has preceded him. And in the providence of God. And uh, just a, a word about this man. Uh, word that uh, this, this handicap that he had, he couldn't hear. And the word, the Greek word used here is the word kophos. It's from the verb kopto, which means to cut off. So he was cut off, the idea, he was cut off from society by uh, his ability to hear. Um, now, I, I'm told this, and I wrote this down. I was interested in how the ear works. I've had it explained to me and read it, but I have to keep reminding. It's an amazing thing, phenomenal as to what happens, what's happening right now what's coming in our ear, is that you get the sound waves that come through the ear canal. The sound strikes on the thin membrane of the eardrum in the middle ear. The eardrum vibrates, and there's this auditory nerve then that takes that vibration and sends it to, to the brain, and then you hear the, you're hearing the words. Now, all this is taking place in just an incredible short, I mean, nanosecond less. Amazing, isn't it? Isn't the creation of the human body, if you really stop, think about it long and hard, and yet, oh my. It's too intelligent for that. Uh, oh yes, think about it. It's just chance, just chance. Uh, so, but the man couldn't speak plainly either. Said that he spoke with difficulty. And this represents just one word in the Greek text. Now, just pause here. Maybe he lost his hearing. It could have been some disease or injury. Um, we don't know. I, I remember it was uh, 1973. Uh, I wrote the date down here. It was January the 3rd, 1973. We got a call from Beth's uh, father. And uh, they, he and Beth's mother, had been at a funeral. And sitting there in the funeral, all of a sudden, hearing's gone. Lost her hearing. Went deaf. She was deaf until she died in 1991. And um, they couldn't, there was no remedy for it. You know, of course, now they got these ocular implants and things that can mitigate some of it, but... Anyway, she was deaf. I will say this about her, showing the, the treasure of when truth is stored in the heart and you love the Lord and walk in obedience to him. She was just as pleasant and delightful after she had lost. I can see her now that, you know, this had to be terribly frustrating because she was quite a, um, she was a Bible teacher. She loved to talk. Uh, she counseled women. She's like Beth. <laughs> Beth is like her. Um, and she, um, she would sit in a room, you know, the children would be there, the grandkids, and we'd be talking. And I can see her now, she'd just be sitting there smiling, <laughs> smiling. And she was, uh, she could pick up some things by just uh, what was going on, the circumstances and guess. But um, anyway, who knows what happened to this man? Well, I would tell you, if Jesus could have walked into our lives 
and done what he did to this man, we would have been jumping around all over the place. All right, well, let's get back to this man here. And uh, so I've got a little paragraph. Imagine the scene. Here's this man. He cannot hear. He can't communicate in any meaningful way. His Gentile friends and neighbors have heard that Jesus was in the area. They had heard about his miracles. So they bring this pitiful man. They bring him to Jesus. Now I say, isn't this the way it ought to be? I think there's a, there's, a, there's a subtext here. I mean we Gentiles. There are people all around us who are in varying states of misery. People who can't hear. People who can't speak. They may be family members. They may be friends. People in our neighborhoods. Wherever. Alongside of you in the airplane. At the grocery store. But they are everywhere. Now, what do we see? There are people who, um, they're cut off from the words of life. They, whose tongues, they can't offer genuine praise to God. I think that's the, the point that Jesus is really wanting to make to his disciples. This malady is a picture of something. Let's move to the next. Uh, the deaf and mute are given faith-helping signs. Oh, interesting procedure that uh, takes place here. The fingers of Jesus in the man's ears and the saliva of Jesus on the man's tongue. This was sign language of what Jesus was about to do. He took the man, he took the man away from the crowd. I think that was a compassionate, sensitive movement by the Lord that he wanted the man to know that he was about to receive some personal attention from Jesus. He wants the man to know what's, what's about to happen. And he didn't want to make a spectacle of this healing. Jesus was not some traveling medicine man with snake oils. He, was, he, 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 he did it, worked at keeping these respectable and non-sensational he put his fingers in the ears of the deaf man. Now, what did that communicate? It communicated that the hearing that he was about to receive would be credited to Jesus. So it's a credit. <laughs> then he put saliva, his saliva, on the tongue of uh, the man. It's like when he spit on the ground. You remember that uh, miracle? and made the little mud ball, mud pie, and put on the man's eyes. This said that Jesus was about to loosen the man's tongue. I mean, he, he couldn't, the man couldn't pick anything up yet. So Jesus wants the deaf and mute to know what the source of mercy is. The hope-giving, faith-assisting actings of Jesus, what did they do? They sent a message that the deaf and, and mute man needed. And he's going to make it evident that he, he, he Jesus, is sufficient. Now, I did skip over something that I intended to show you here, but I've uh, rattled on a bit, so I'll just say, if you were to look in Isaiah 35, which is a tremendous kingdom passage, you can mark it down and look at it if you'd like. I'll I just read it over this morning, that um, this Isaiah 35 is a picture of the coming kingdom on earth, and verses 5, and is anybody there? Yeah. Right, could you read verse 5, 6? 5 and 6? Yeah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man listen like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, 
That's a, I mean, this is beautiful. This chapter, by the way, is sort of, and those verses, interestingly, in the, when you look at the, uh, the layout of the book of Isaiah, chapter 35 is the peak of that whole section because chapter 36 begins a transition in the book. And what he's doing in 35 is giving a layout of the coming kingdom that Jesus will bring when he returns the second time. And it's going to be associated with an extraordinary um, medical advances and healing that will take place in the millennial kingdom. That when the Messiah is on earth, ruling and reigning in Jerusalem, you talk about some medical breakthroughs, uh, there will be healing. And if I'm to understand these correctly, Jesus was not going to have to delegate a lot of um, physicians to go out and do it is that access to him in the kingdom is just going to produce healing everywhere. Hey, I got to get to Jerusalem. I got to get over there. And it'll just be like the, the nations will become streaming to Jerusalem to worship, to praise him. The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the, as the seas. And so Jesus is going to talk about a healing center. See, these ancient healing centers, like to the god of Asclepius and such, the Greeks and the Romans had to these false gods, this is going to be the real deal when Jesus is here. <laughs> when he, but what he was doing when he was on earth was just a foreshadowing of that. It anticipated that. Because it wasn't worldwide. It was just left located there in Israel, obviously. But I think this is what he's, he's doing and why he lifts that. I mean, you, you, you see that uh, presented, why well, you see it presented here in Mark 7. All right, let's go to the next. The deaf and mute have their ears open and their tongues loosened by the power of the Messiah. You notice it says that he breathes the sigh of lament. Did you catch that? Um, in the presence of the wounds of sin. That he breathes this sigh. Um, Jesus, Jesus was a man of real feeling. He was not an, an emotionless uh, kind of uh, robot. And he felt this man's sorrow. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Aren't you glad for that? Now, I, I confess something here. There's a, we can be a little, maybe, a little conflicted at this point. I understand this. There's a little tension here, isn't there? You're, you're hurting bad. There's a condition you have. A loved one has and Jesus doesn't heal it like he did. But is it just a fallback to say, but he cares? You know, the longer I live, the more I've thought about it. I would say that that is great comfort that he cares because I know the bigger picture better than I have known it. <laughs> I know where we're going. I know that he's working through sorrow and suffering and pain which we, we will not be able to do once I'm shed of this, this uh, earthen body. When I get my glorified body, I won't be able to do that either. But I, would have, I will have had the opportunity to trust him and love him, having loved him, when I didn't get immediate relief from my pain. But I loved him and I trusted him. And then, then, ah, I'm so thankful, Lord. So that I didn't, well, I didn't grouse. 
push back, get angry, get bitter. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to glorify you. So, Jesus says, also I would add that it's, it's the grace of God that ears are opened to obedience. Uh, now, here's where we get into this other story, the rest of the story, that when Jesus said, Ephatha, um, this lip-reading thing, this healing was, it was spectacular. It was instantaneous, which Jesus' miracles were. Um, that whatever damage had been done to this man's middle ear, inner ear, was immediately healed. The eardrum was healed. The auditory nerve in the brain was made alive. I mean, all that, just like that. I mean, if you analyzed it medically, just in an instant, he did it. And the deaf and mute, whose ears had been opened, whose tongues had been loosed, become a doxology for the redemptive dominion work of Jesus Christ. And I want to go back. I wrote out a little paragraph. Not that it's all that. Uh, not and not that it is all. Did, did we skip something? Uh, all right, uh, okay, we got it. Okay, I, I did put in a little paragraph. I'm not that this is great prose, but I was trying to get at what really happened here. And. Uh, let me go back, though. This precedes this point. This brief account of a sign miracle by Jesus has a double exposure quality to it. Now, we all, we don't need to be told what double exposure. You can't do that with digital cameras anymore. So the, the days of messing up with double exposure are gone. But I don't mean it has two meanings. I mean that the miracle of he, hearing and speaking this man received is a picture of what happens in the new birth, spiritual healing. Here's the sequence. We are all deaf spiritually and unable to use our tongues for the purpose for which they were created. Sin has deafened us to God's word and has garbled our speech. What comes out? Profanity, deceit, lies. I'm not, this is the way we were before we came to Christ not speaking the wonderful words of life and cherishing them with our vocabulary and brain. In our natural self, we sit in the presence of a symphony of supernatural revelation from God. And we just don't get it. We don't hear it. It's like sitting in a great concert hall. And we're looking around, and there are all these instruments... Our tongues are employed in the pursuit of earthbound gibberish. We're like the gods we worship, having mouths but they cannot speak. They have eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but they cannot hear. Psalm 115. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. That's the natural man. But the miracle of the new birth changes all this. The Spirit of God unstops our ears freeze our tongues. Our ears are opened and God's law becomes our delight. This is the characteristic of the child of God. We hear with our hearts now. And so therefore, with our tongues, the doxology. And that <clears throat> when the transforming work of the Spirit is seen, it is hard not to say something. 
Jesus didn't want to be acclaimed as a traveling medicine man with amazing snake oils. He didn't want this sign miracle to eclipse his, eclipse his preaching ministry. That's why he's trying to con containment. Containment. No, no, no. He didn't. He wasn't going out to try to get a following in a crowd. But it was in the preaching. It was in his preaching that his true identity was clarified. He had to have that. The miracles would have been a disaster without the divine explanation associated with them. So he didn't want his sign miracles to impede his progress toward the cross. Now I've mentioned this to you before that how easily this. He knew the crowds, the people were. See, they had memories of the Maccabeans. Remember the story of the Maccabees? Well, you will, you'd have to have the apocryphal books to read it. It's in First and Second Maccabees, where about 166 B.C., when the Syrians had a chokehold on Palestine, there was a man who came up at that time named Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes. The Jews played on that, created a little paranomasia and called him Antiochus Epimenes. And Epiphanes means the manifested or great one. And the Jews turned it into Epimenes, the madman. Antiochus, the crazy guy. But there rose up at that time a family. A family, a father and his sons, the Maccabees. And they became really a force to be reckoned with. And this is, this is legend in, in, in Jewish, the Feast of Lights, which comes up here December. This is big in the Jewish calendar. And the Maccabees uh, began to um, engage in a, uh, a, a civil war. It was like guerrilla warfare to get back their country. And they did it. They did it. They, um, and so they retook the, 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 the temple and that which had been desecrated and, and, uh, by, the, by the pagans, by tax epiphanies. They rededicated it and went through all the protocol, ceremony protocol, and so the Feast of Lights is in memory of that. Okay, why all that? Okay, they, they had their moment. They were political champions and they gave Israel that little moment of, yes, yes, we're free at last, free at last. And then who comes marching into Palestine? Rome, Rome, with its, with its strong armed, no negotiating, we're in control, shut up, sit down and like it approach. <laughs> so here they were and Rome had his heavy thumb upon them. What do you think the average person, I mean, it had only been a couple hundred years or less. And they had the memories that have come down. We want a political champion like Judas Maccabeus. Here he is. Here he is. He says, no, 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 no. No. There's something that's got to be dealt with here before you can have, we can talk, experience, talk about experience, political salvation in the government that you, we want, the kingdom, and that we got to deal with hearts, and sin's got to be dealt with. Sin goes to the cross, the rest. You know the story. So this is important to remember why Jesus goes through these little movements uh, to contain, control, 
consciousness of the crowds and what the people wanted. And it ended up, you know, what the people said, we have no king but Caesar. They just became so angry and resentful that he didn't do what they thought he should do. And they killed him. They killed him. And I conclude, uh, one more statement here, that the extraordinary power of Jesus to heal is the very good of creation and the promise of the coming kingdom. That's the Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, too. Sir. Yes, sir. Correct. They have historical value of greater and lesser degree. I mean, there's some stuff in it like Bell and the Dragon is one of the books. It's, it's a little... Uh, look. Yeah, absolutely. That's where you, you get some good... Uh, now, you have the prediction of the Maccabee period when you go to Daniel 11. Uh, Daniel 11, wow, we were preaching through Daniel 11 one time. I thought, what am I going to do with this? I mean, it's got like a couple of hundred prophecies in that one chapter. I mean, it's very minute uh, uh, prediction of uh, time, Israel's future, fulfilled already, except for the coming of the Antichrist. But... I rolled off on that, and you asked me about where do we get the information on the Maccabees. You can get it from Daniel 11. But, yes, the book of Maccabees um, will we'll tell you. In, um, but anyway, well, men, we ought to go out of here and thank God that we can speak and we can hear. Now, uh, we confess our hearing is not what it used to be. Hmm? What? Yes. Uh, not what it used to be. And our eyes aren't what they used to be. Can't see like. But you know, these are just. I, w I want to, Lord, help me to remember that in my aggravation with the loss of my sensory perception, which fails increasingly, one day I'm going to have a new, brand new pair of eyes. They're going to last forever. Ears, going to last forever. No more trips to the eye doctor. <laughs> No more just rejoicing in status quo. <laughs> That's the way it is now, isn't it? If it isn't getting worse, it's good. <laughs> and so, Lord, <coughs> I trust you, Lord. And I just want what, let's pray about it, Lord. I thank you for, I thank you that we can sit here and hear. And Lord, we, 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 we delight in your words, your commandments, your precepts, your promises, the hope. Thank you, Lord. That delight would not be in us, Lord, unless you had done a miracle of regeneration, making us new creatures. And Lord, as we move out into neighborhoods and among people who can't hear, can't see, can't speak, we need your grace in Christ. Oh, enable us to be faithful witnesses this week. In Christ's name, amen. 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 So be it. That's right. Bless me.